Greetings, salutations, hello, hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode from Radio Land from the home office in Memphis, Tennessee. It is episode number 328. For those of you keeping score, or, you know, looking at the file. Hello, my name is Rick Cheddar. Good night, everybody. And this is from Radio Land. I was sitting here uh, just a moment ago perusing the usual spaces that I go in. You know, there's... News, the, the social media, you know, you know you, the, the places you go, you see what's out there. See what, and I just, <laughs> I just came across this thing that was on on Reddit, where an 18-year-old professional bowler has become the fourth, the fourth person ever to pick up the seven-tenth split on television. And I find that really dubious. I just, I, I don't know. I just doesn't, this doesn't seem. It seems like bowling has been a thing on television for a long, long time. I know. <laughs> For anybody, why are you talking about bowling? They, and it's it had to have happened more than four times, three other times. Uh, on tele, maybe maybe it did, and nobody was watching it. That's that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. It's a, it, but he's an 18 year old kid. He's a he's a hell of a bowler, I suppose. It just seems odd that that's that's um, that's a thing. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember when the there was the Professional Bowlers Association, the actual league was for sale for like a million bucks. And I mean, if you had that kind of cash laying around, you go, uh, I could buy a bowling league. <laughs> what, what, what would you do? With, it just seems like the most ridiculous thing that any person could just potentially want to just purchase. You know, if you hit the lottery for like, I don't know, say, say, say a hundred million <laughs> and it's going to knock off a million and go buy a bowling league. I mean, I don't know. These aren't your weekend hacks. These are pros. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, and you'd think, well, there's who's going to air it on television? Well, look at the state of television right now. Everything is everywhere, really. There is a there is a streaming platform for everything you could possibly think of. It is literally everywhere. In that particular case, it was on Fox Sports One, FS One, PBA. I'm looking at the little bug right now on the on the screen. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's it's a thing. It's a business. I get it. I certainly get it. It's I don't know my my thing, but you know, such as it is. Uh, before before all this before all that nonsense happened, I, I was going to let you know. Um, I don't know why. Not that you would care, but um, the wife and I just went out for a, a little stroll in the neighborhood with the dog. And but before we did that, we decided, hey, let's give the old boy a bath. The dog Duke, and so we did out of the driveway. He got him a bath. Uh, the, <laughs> let me tell you about spoiling a dog. My wife is very good at this, you see. So the, the immigrant comes outside with a bucket of warm water. It's like 80 degrees, 70 something degrees outside. It's nice. I'm like, he, he was a working dog. He used to work at the track. I mean, he was a, he was a racing greyhound. And after every race, they would wash these, these, these dogs down. And so she's spoiling this poor bastard by giving him a, a hot bath out of the driveway on a beautiful day. And of course, to rinse him off, she decides, let's just turn the hose on him, which she does, much to the disappointment of the dog, who began to cry a little bit about it. He was not happy about that guy. You spoiled that bastard. Look what happened. He wants no part of this now. And of course, out on the walk, he's doing great. And then, of course, it's hot. You know, he's dried off now. And he's now decided that it's time to lay down and take a break, which is what he, this is a two mile hike. It's not that big a deal. 
And on on the way back in someone's front yard, he finds a big patch of shady clover and lays down in it and says, that's it. I'm done. Halfway from home. <laughs> uh-huh. Last summer he did that. He refused to move and I had to go get a car. Let me, that's, that's the, he's a dog. Do you get him to, he, he, greyhounds are sort of like, I don't know. They, they can be stubborn at times. They're like, they can be kind of like a donkey at times. He's a bit of a jackass. He has his moments, but then again, who isn't? But, you know, we finally got him up and he was good to go. He came inside. Now he's passed out under a ceiling fan because that's just what, that's what he does. He drank a buttload of water and he's, he's good to go. <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice outside. A lot of people are getting back out. The, the cabin fever that was the entire year of 2020, it seems to be relenting a bit, which is pretty good, right? I think that's a very cool thing. The vaccine is a thing, you know, and people are feeling a little bit better about getting out. There's still social distancing, mind you, in most cases, and they're still wearing their masks in most cases, which is good, but we're getting a little bit better. I saw uh, today on uh, whatever, today's the 11th of April. Uh, I saw that uh, 183 or 84, 184 million Americans have been vaccinated, at least on the first dose. It's more than half. So, you know, well, they're about half. So about roughly half, maybe a hair above of Americans have, have gotten one form of the vaccine. That's fantastic. Um, I know people have different opinions about the vaccine. That's fine. Everybody's entitled to them. Uh, if you were to ask me my advice on this, if you're on the fence about it, I would suggest to you that you do go ahead and get it. Uh, it is safe uh, from my estimation. I've, I've heard of a couple of people that have had allergic reactions to it, but you've got to do your due diligence. Consult with your doctor if you, if you have one. If you don't, you can call one up and say, hey, and they're going to tell you what I'm telling you, you know. Uh, if you, if you, if, if you have a doctor that has your medical history, they know more about you than you do. And they will tell you whether or not you have an allergic reaction or may have a potential allergic reaction to this sort of thing. Um, I had the Pfizer. That's the, I've had the first dose of the Pfizer. I get the second one in about, oh, about 10, 12 days in a couple of weeks. I'll get the other one. So, so there's that. I didn't have any issues with it, but there are those who have, and, uh, you know, as it is, but it is relatively safe and it's okay to be anxious about that. It's okay to be a little concerned about it, but as I mentioned, you know, look up the ingredients in the thing that's they're posted everywhere. I'll just search it and you'll find it. Uh, understand how the mRNA uh, platform works for vaccines, and you're you're in good shape. You'll be in, you'll be in fine shape, and uh, you know, it it, most people tolerate it very well. Uh, I've got a friend of mine that had the second dose, and I asked him if it had how did he feel, and he goes, "Eh, nothing a beer and a burger wouldn't solve." So there you go it's it's just like that but besides you get to you get to sit there with that with a, a little bit of confidence knowing that you've taken part in something to help mitigate uh, a, a situation that has literally killed hundreds of thousands of people in this country and you know you don't have to be one of those people and you can help stop it if you do get the vaccine but i do recommend that you go and you do it uh, you'll feel better about it. Trust me, it's 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 a lot better than than you think. Don't trust all this bad news that's out there. You got to do your own research. We've talked about doing that before. Hop online. You know, Google can be your friend, but search out everything you can. Read up. All, that's what I did. I read up on everything because I was I'm like you. I'm scared about it. You know, but I'm I tell you what, I'm far more terrified of catching COVID than I am of the damn shot. 
So, uh, and in fact, the shot was so, so quick and easy. I was like, wow, you're done. I didn't even feel that. So there, there, there you go. Helps to have a good looking nurse when you, when you go. To- <laughs> right on. Okay. Uh, coming up on the program, uh, this time out, uh, we're going to have a great conversation. Fantastic gentleman that, uh, uh, I I've met now. Uh, we, we had a great, a great time, uh, talking because I, I tell you what, there, there's a whole world out there uh that in the in the in the crime in the crime world you know that is uh fascinating and it turns into great television there's usually a lot of movies that are made up around this a lot of great books about it and very rarely do you get a chance to sit down and talk to somebody who's actually lived it yes this is kind of cool it's it's interesting i will tell you that it's a little it's a little harried uh, but it's we're gonna be talking about a book called suburban gangster the author of that book lived this life his name is michael deneen yeah, this is going to be really cool. And this is a, you want to talk about a cautionary tale where you got about a 95% chance of catching the death, <laughs> which is true. This guy survived it and has got a fantastic story to tell. Uh, you will hear it. It is coming up right up out of this break and you're listening to it right here from Radioland. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans, and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family's health insurance. It's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-668-0042. 800-668-0042. 800-668-0042. That's 800-668-0042. My guest this time joins us through the miracle of the internet as we do here in these uh, these days. He's a writer. He's got a hell of a story and he's got a fantastic book. We're going to talk a little bit about Suburban Gangsters is the book. Michael Deneen joins us. Hello, Michael. How you doing? You know, I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, after reading what I've read so far, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how if I should feel better about myself or I feel like a slacker. <laughs> At least you feel something, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. Let me tell you, man. I, I've only, I, to be honest, I haven't read the whole thing yet. I'm looking forward to diving into this thing. the The first part of this thing, uh, it, it grabs you by the balls and it just drags you through every keyhole you can find. Absolutely. And that was my intent because I remember I remember I read a bunch of books over like a 10 year period. And I said, I don't want to lose the reader in the first 10 pages. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to get them right away and get them hooked immediately. And that's basically what, what I did. I uh, over over my career, I've I've been a, a voice actor for uh, various auto audio books. I still do it. And uh, it's it's I, all the styles of books that I've narrated over the years. It's it's remarkable to see different styles, you know, as you know, played out. Especially when you when you put actual you know voice to them, and uh, right. I, I got to tell you that what you've got here would make a great audio book. I'm not selling myself on you. I'm just thinking it'd be a fantastic book. It definitely would. When I when I read samples of it to people when I was writing it, they that's what they said to me. They're like, "There's something about your voice, that New York accent, and what you're reading and stuff, and the story itself that is just it's it's a good match." 
It is the the you know not only is the story compelling, but you know it's you know it's it's, it's in that genre that uh, a lot of people really dig, uh, me me included, and it's it surrounds in essence organized crime, and it's it's uh, uh, usually those stories they're so involved, there's so many things going on at one time, and. And and which you've done at least so far that I've I've read so far you've got a, you've got a lot of you got a sizable cast of characters that are involved in this story, and it keeps going. You're gonna there's gonna be more characters that enter, and the story becomes it's almost hard to believe. When I went back and and reread this thing, and and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know how I ever survived this whole thing. There was just so much insanity from jump from when it started in 1985, and it just seemed like it. It was every day there was something that was just crazy. Yeah, the uh, the the real for those that are that are uh, that are tuned in here, uh, what we're talking about here, is, of course, not just organized crime, but more specifically about uh, the drug business. Uh, and I guess the, the it's almost a character in and of itself, and it's the drug. It's it's cocaine that was so big in the eighties. I mean, by God, that thing was, you could you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody that was that had a line of coke in front of them. That is exactly right. So it's. Good night, good night. The 1980s was, I try and explain that to some of the young people today, how incredibly just dangerous and and how much was going on. It was so busy with all that stuff. I mean, cocaine, by the 19, by like 1985, it was, it invaded every area of American life, every avenue. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was, uh, I, I guess it was, well, clearly probably a lot cheaper then than it is now inflation, uh, notwithstanding, but just because it was so available and so easy to get your hands on, I would imagine that any, any young entrepreneur looking for a quick buck was going to definitely go down that alley and start pushing that stuff. Well, me and some of the guys that I, that I talk about early in the book and throughout it, uh, we kind of, you know, handcuffed ourselves by not paying attention in school by getting kicked out of school early and stuff. And we kind of uh, had no choice but to take this path. It was almost like it, we had set itself in motion when we were doing that in school and everything. Which begs the question, uh, here it is 2021. This all took place in the 80s. How the hell did you survive all of that? Probably a lot of luck. I mean, you know, it's hard to say exactly because uh, with the stuff well, you read about later on in the book, it's, it's, it's the amount of drugs that I did at one time in my life and everything, the amount of crazy things that I've been through and everything. It's very difficult that I'm still – it's hard to believe that I'm still here after being so stupid when I was younger. Well, you know, youth making uh, making crazy decisions in our lives. You know, it's it was the, old, the old story about uh, – uh, the youth is wasted on the young. You know, <laughs> if you wish you could go back with the type of intelligence that we have now as adults and go, you know, shit, what was I thinking? You know, that was that was just some in, incredible stuff. I mean, there's it's not just the drugs, but I mean, there's ass beatings. There's 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 people pointing guns at people, uh, people dying, literally dying over this over over deals, and it's 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 insane, absolutely insane. We I saw it all. I mean, there's nothing I haven't seen at this point in my life, and. Uh, it, it was almost like it became commonplace yeah. that behavior and those yeah. type of things. Like it was going on on the regular with this, you know, being tied, I guess in an essence to it, it, it was organized crime in a way, but, but you didn't answer to a boss during all this. Did you, you, you didn't, were you working for a, a crew or a family, you know, the old, cause you're in, you're in New York, but 
there's the whole story of the five families, all the legendary uh, myth that we've heard over over the years. Did, did you ever have any run-ins with any of that? Some of the people I, I had a business with did. What happened is when, when the cocaine became such a big problems, what, what we did is it gave birth to the independent criminal organizations. So it, it, you didn't have to be in the mafia to make a killing, make it illegal money at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause yeah, cause there was, there's, there were so many other things that would happen, but I would be, I, hell I'd be scared that I would be stepping on somebody's territory and we know how the mob is. They're going to say, Hey man, you know, this is, this is my, this is my street. This is my corner here. The hell you doing? Well, it worked the same way with us. We took what we wanted, where we wanted and who we wanted. Well, and that's the mentality you have to have, uh, it, unfortunately, in this line of work. I mean, I'm, of course, I've worked for corporate broadcast in the past before, and, and some of those guys like to think that they're that they have that kind of quote unquote muscle to to kind of push people around because it was was they always said the threat of violence was often more uh, 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 more telling than the actual act itself. Right. But yeah, you, you, got, you have to be ruthless if if you want to survive in the drug business. You have to be ruthless. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, you spent a lot of time, and of course, in the book, in the early on of the book, you talk a little bit about uh, your time in uh, in studying karate, which you did say served you very well. But you were also heavily armed. <laughs> there was there was no you you were covered whether you had a you had a gun on you or not. Well, the guns I pretty much kept basically just I collected them back then. As far as uh, the karate, that was my real thing. As far as taking care of myself. My instructor, I worked out with Richie Barathee. Yeah. Richie Barathee is one of the greatest martial artists that's ever walked on the planet. Did you Did you get your black belt ultimately? Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1990, what was it, two? 1992. So are you teaching now? I'm not at the present time. I've got quite a few injuries right now. Uh, and I've got a lot going on with my family right now. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And there's all this pandemic. You know, <laughs> there is, there's COVID out there that's going to kind of slow slow it down a little bit, but, uh, but, uh, I, first of all, I got to tell you to, you know, thank you for sitting down and writing this book, because I, I think that even though it's, uh, I, well, we'll go ahead and just kind of out it. It's you, the character is you in this under, under a different name, but the, uh, the, the, the fact that it's that human and that's real, it would seem like no, this shit can't be real. Who, who's going to buy this type of stuff. And those are often the best stories because they are real. They are based in, in reality. And, you know, here's, here's this young kid who, made one bad decision, which led him down this road of, 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 I guess what greed would be a correct way to put this because the lure of this cash must've been just intoxicating. It really was. And I, you know, I try to tell people it, it's, it's harder to stop dealing drugs once you've got a taste of that big money than it is to stop using drugs. So was that a, was that an issue with you? Did 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 you have a bad uh, 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 did you have a bad addiction? The, the whole getting your high getting high on your own supply was that an issue with you, or was it just something? Hey, I just need I'm in it for the business. It didn't happen until later on. Till I forget what I was about uh, maybe thirty five something like that, where I actually fell to addiction really bad. It almost cost me my life. Yeah, and you'll read about that when you get further in the book. Uh, the, the, uh, I guess the door that opened for you though, was steroids, um, which, you know, it's, it's still a thing, especially in, in, uh, major athletics, but it, uh, would, would you consider that sort of the, the quote unquote gateway drug for you was, was the steroids? Actually, it was uh, probably pot when I was a kid, you know, I started smoking pot when I was young and everything, but I had stopped by the time I started using the steroids, 
And the steroids kind of, at that point, just like anything went after that. Yeah. Well, you just, I, I don't know, it just, you, it just felt safe. I mean, we, we used to talk about this. Uh, so uh, friends of mine, we were talking about how the uh, Just Say No campaign, that federal thing that you know, Nancy Reagan was involved with, all that stuff that was happening was um, was really dangerous in, in because, you know, kids would would smoke some grass and they go, well, this isn't any big deal. Uh, they lied to us about how bad this was. So here, let's try some Coke. And and it just goes on and they wind up in heroin, of which you have a very interesting uh, statement to make about heroin and how you didn't really want to deal with that, that stuff at all. Uh, just because it was it attracted such weird, unsavory individuals. Yeah, it it, it, it it attracted a seedy clientele, you know. And in the beginning, I kind of looked down on that. I didn't want any part of it. But what's weird is later on, so many years later, it would actually get me and engulf my entire life. So, so it was heroin that got you. Yes. Wow. I, I can't. I've I, I I've talked to people that have had those those issues before, and it's still I I I understand how how alluring that drug is, and how addicting it is, and what it does to you. It's it's that that the second you have it, it's like where do I get more? I it's, I guess it's like cocaine as well too. You you'll hear people go, hey, they'll take their first you know their first hit of coke, and they're turning around going, hey, I got to have more of this. I saw friends of mine back in the eighties, in the mid eighties, like eighty four, eighty five. Yeah. It took one hit of crack, and then, like, a, you wouldn't see them again for, like, a year or two. And the next time you saw them, they'd have no money. The clothes would be falling off them. You're like, you can't believe this is the same guy that you knew two years earlier or a year earlier. Is it, in your estimation, do you think, speaking of crack, do you think it, it there was that whole conspiracy about the, the feds getting involved and pushing that out onto the streets? Or, or did it did it come to us the way other drugs do? You know, conspiracy theories, a lot of times, there is some truth to some of that stuff. I mean, I read a really good book called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it blew my mind, the details this guy got into as far as the CIA's involvement with the heroin trafficking and everything and making it possible just so we could have allies during the Vietnam War and stuff. So anything is possible. I, I mean, yeah, anything is possible with something like that. Uh, while you were working and while you were, you, you know, your primary thing, as we mentioned earlier, was cocaine, uh, how, and you, you were fully aware of law enforcement being around you. Uh, you were under their, under their scope fairly consistently early on. Was there just sort of a weird give and take between the two, between you guys and law enforcement? Did they just give you room to see who all was involved or, or, or how did that work? In the beginning around, you know, when this started, law enforcement was not particularly, uh, great with their surveillance techniques ah. they would be out in the open and stuff they'd have to follow you in their car at, at a such and such a distance so they could keep an eye on you and stuff and we'd be able to spot them you know right away we, we became really good at that stuff but later on it changed the game changed much later on but we we tried to keep our run-ins with them like you know as as little as possible yeah, because you, you you make mention early on that at your home it was sort of like it was like a fast food restaurant. There'd be cars lined up around the block, and I would think that that would just be an attention getter right then and there. Out of this, you know, you got cops hanging out on the street watching what's going on. They know exactly what the hell's up. Well, before it, it started getting really bad, like we had just started with the business and stuff, and we we didn't even know what was really coming as it was starting. It kind of took on a life of its own. And just got grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Did it get out of control for you because of on the business side? I mean, I get the using side, but on the business end, is it just, does it come to a point where it's just too big to handle and you just, you just have to say, you know, screw this, I'm done. There were definitely times I could say, yes, it, it, that happened, but there were also, there were a lot of outs or like inside influences, <laughs> like people around me, like the girl I was going out with and stuff yeah. who ended up being my daughter's mother, you know, got caused like a lot of problems with, you know, because she had an addiction at the time. And uh, it, it brought so many problems into my business side. That's so it, it was difficult to balance the two out. And that's when things get sloppy and that's when things get dangerous, I would imagine. Absolutely. You can't anything like that. I mean, that's what ended up destroying me later on. It happened from within, not from the outside. Which is probably, I would think, fairly indicative of how this business operates anyway. They're, it's always from the inside out, mostly. Yeah, unless some people like... You got to be smart about, you got to know how to read the signs. I mean, unless somebody, you know, just out of nowhere, just sets you up and sticks a knife in your back. That's one thing, but you could almost read the signs of running if you're smart and see certain things lining up. Like if you look like you're being followed, things like that. I mean, you could almost avoid getting busted if you're smart. Well, which kind of leads me into this, the, the, the purpose behind the book, you could, in theory, could reverse engineer this on how to properly run that kind of business. Not that I would recommend that because you, you paint a pretty good picture early on that, you know, this is no way to live, uh, clearly, but you could, in theory, figure it out. say, well, I, I could do better than this guy. I, there's always that street competition. Here's the thing. Everybody thinks that they're smarter than the next guy, or they're going to be smarter than the guy before them. And in the end, it all ends up the same. Everybody goes to jail or 99% go to jail and maybe one or two skate through for whatever the reason may be. I ended up skating through and not getting caught with anything large because I made a very calculated business decision to join uh, up with the cops and the feds, which you read about further in the book. And I actually started working with them so they would let me keep working. Well, doing what I was doing. Well, yeah, I got you. So, you know, be, becoming a teaching the feds on what to look for then. No, we were actually setting people up. Oh. So it, it gets really, it's barbaric to some of the stuff that goes on. I mean, like, it was just downright dirty that what happens in that book. And like I said, if somebody thinks that, like, when they're getting involved in that type of line of work, if you think there's some kind of nobility in it, Go home to your mother because you have no business being in there. You'll get eaten alive in a New York second. Oh, uh, well, yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty quick second of time too. <laughs> so, so your, uh, your motive behind the book then to write it, was it, uh, you want to, are you trying to set up a cautionary tale here or is it just a, you gotta, you can just gotta get this off your chest. Is there a little catharsism here? A little, a little, uh, a little uh, a therapy, if you will. A little bit of everything I think that you just mentioned. I would like to, my, my, my hope is that I can bring this to a series and, uh, you know, do something with that, you know, and start a foundation and maybe hopefully one day be able to help families in crisis before they have to get to this type of situation where their kids get involved in things like I was involved with, because 99% chance they are not going to survive if they took the path I did. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you're lucky. You're very, very lucky. And, uh, you know, clearly we're sitting here having this conversation from all of these, from all these years, uh, had, that had passed. Um, what would you, what would you consider then the, 
Uh, you know what, what's what's a good way to stop this? What keeps these kids from uh, from from getting into this uh, down this path in the first place? Uh, it's very tough. I mean, every generation seems to have their own fixation on certain drugs or whatever. But this thing needs to be nipped in the bud. You have to find a way to pound it into these kids from kindergarten and just keep doing it on a regular reinforcement basis and and try and drill this out of them before they get to that age and the temptations start. Well, yeah, peer pr- I, think that's, I think that's the only chance you have of doing something about it. Peer pressure, being what it is, is so intense, uh, as, you, as you very well know. And, uh, you know, you try, you know, it's, it, it, it was a thing that I got from reading what, you, what you'd written, um, that, you know, you were doing, your, your father was pushing into uh, physical fitness and you, you're getting into the gym, you're lifting weights, you're building yourself up a bit. And then... You, I don't think you really enjoyed it, from my understanding. And then you find you you find yourself trying to do the right thing. And then you get you get hooked into it, and then the steroids show up and makes everything even better. That's that's kind of a weird bit of peer pressure there too. My father, you know, he, he my father was a good man. You know, he worked his whole life. He was a New York City fireman, and he was a good man. He, he did the right thing his whole life. Yeah, you know. But some of his methods in trying to get me to. Uh, do some of the things that he thought I should do might not have been the best, you know, at that time, you know, and I think that kind of made me steer a little off the beaten path. I, although I take complete responsibility for my own actions. Well, yeah, well, you know, you were you were an impressionable impressionable teenager at the time, weren't you? At that at, when this when this went down, absolutely. You know, I I look at teenagers today and I think, God, how how the hell do you survive, uh, especially in today's day and age? I mean, we all did it, but still, it's or survived it for the most part. And you, and you look back and it's like, you know, man, there was some stupid shit that we've done. But at the same time, I hear stories from guys like you that really went down these incredibly dangerous uh, paths of, of circumstance where one thing led to another. It was like a domino effect. Every decision started impacting you and piling onto you all the way through this thing. And, you know, that's exactly the way it works. Uh, You know, one thing sets the next thing in motion and then the next thing and next thing you know you're like i'm down so far down this road now i almost can't get out of it or turn around well what do you think about uh the, the way a lot of uh state governments are going now and the legalization of 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 cannabis uh they haven't gotten into the hard stuff yet but in some states are playing with the psychotropic stuff but what do you think about uh, the whole cannabis legalization uh, excuse me my glasses broke I'm sorry about that. That's why I keep tweaking. Oh, right oh that's fine. I, 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 it's a slippery slope in a way because for me personally, uh, when I started smoking pot, that kind of started the road towards not, you know, it, it just steered me in the wrong direction. Now I'm not saying it's going to happen to everybody. Yeah, everybody's different. For me, it distracted me from school. Because I was a high honor roll or honor roll student when I was in school yeah. until I started doing that. And things changed after that. Yeah, because uh, cannabis was not uh, – was it. you weren't selling a lot of it early on. I mean, it was – you were you were selling you were selling the, the Coke. I mean, you were – that was where the money was. Uh, pot yeah, came it, a little it, bit it later. Coke. That's where it was, yep. Yeah, and then pot just kind of came along to sort of supplement the income and made it a little easier. But, I mean, you had pills and all – you know, you had a, a, a pharmacy is really what it was. But – it was almost as if cannabis was kind of an afterthought, as if it was sort of like, ah, it's okay, somebody's won it, I'll sell it. You know, it's that that kind of thing. Yeah, but down the road, if you keep reading, it ends up becoming my main line of work after a while because I had become so disenchanted 
with the elements that I had to deal with with the cocaine, yeah. there was so much backstabbing and so much throat cutting by close friends and associates and customers. And it was so hard to, to stay on top of who was not, you know, trying to hurt you at some point. Yeah. It's bad enough. You're dealing with a clientele that's already, you know, way shady, but you know, you're, you're also having to trust people that you probably normally wouldn't trust at all. And then they, then you, then you find out later, they're stabbing you in the back. They're ripping you off that thing with the housekeeper. Uh, that's a, that's a hell of a tale right then and there. Uh, was the, (laughs) it was so, when it happened, I was like, I was, I was in shock. I'm like, no criminal in the world would have had the guts to try and rob my house at that point. Yet here, this five foot two housekeeper has been cleaning me out for like months and months and months. And when I found out, I, I almost, I could not believe what happened. Wait, was, she, was she kid you like, like 50 grand or something like that over, over oh, the street? She, she, she got me for at least that. <laughs> she had been doing this for probably a year and a half, almost two years. Yeah. And that's somebody you absolutely honestly believe that you could trust all the way through. And it's that person is the one that's screwing you over. I know, but that's that whole business. She was actually a customer also. That's how I got her to start cleaning my house. But that's where I was naive in the beginning. But I became really quick study about what to watch out for. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because from then on out, you don't trust anybody. You can't. You can't trust anybody in this line of work, period. I don't care how well you know them. Be prepared for the worst because you know what? If you're not, you're going to get a severe life lesson. You know, I, as a, I'm a, a self-employed guy right now, and I find that le- – and I, it, what I do is above board. Thank you very much. But I still find that uh, that whole – got to be careful who you trust anyway. But I, I can only imagine in that line of work, it becomes – because, you know, hell, you could be dealing with an undercover cop at any given second, or you're dealing with somebody who's just, just going to do you in for the money and the product. End of story. And that's it. This, this – it's crazy, and you're exactly right. And that's the whole trap with the whole thing. When we first started – we didn't realize what we were biting off at that point. Like we, we were all young. We were 18, 19 year old kids when we started. So we didn't know all the stuff that this was going to entail later on. You know, the stuff that was going to become a part of that lifestyle. And for all the money that you make and everything in the end, it's so not worth it for what you have to go through to get it. Would you, would you look back and, and, uh, and say you had any regrets or are you glad you lived through this and, and did this? I mean, cause sometimes people go through some of these weird experiences, but yet they're, they're kind of glad they did because they have learned so many important, valuable life lessons. Listen, I'm very happy. I'm ecstatic that I lived through it. Yes. But I am filled with regrets uh, because I spent so much time doing the wrong thing. Whereas if I just did the right thing from jump, I probably would have had just a nice, mellow life because there. if you keep reading the book, you'll find out there are so many things that happened to me later on that was, you know, was set in motion early on because I chose that life. Well, yeah, that's and that's that that's what I think is so compelling about this, this, especially the, the, the first hell, the first five pages of the book. It's that first decision that opens the door that sends you down this path of nothing but wrong decisions all the way through it. And it's. It's it's incredible how that one you know, was it was it was the desi- it was the desire to have the Mustang wasn't it, it was the, it was to get that car and that's when I I look back and I said you know when my father I was working full time at the time and I asked my father to co-sign a loan so I could get the Mustang GT and he basically told me what I could do with that so I said you know what all right I'm gonna get it anyway 
And like two months later, I rolled up with it. And he was like, what? He's like, where did you get the money for this thing? I was like, oh, I don't remember what excuse I gave him at the time. But it was really, uh, (laughs) it was something to see his face. Did he ever catch on to what was going on? Oh, yeah. Well, at one time, like, uh, this is how crazy this whole thing is. My father's girlfriend at the time, he was a bouncer also at the time. My father's girlfriend was a cokehead, right? Yeah. So my sister started stealing it from me and selling it to my father's girlfriend. <laughs> so check this out. So after a while, she gets tired of paying for it. So one night when I'm at home, she tells my father what I'm doing. My father didn't know at this point. She said, your, your son's selling cocaine. So she goes, I know where he keeps it. Go look at his drawer. So my father goes upstairs into my room. He opens the drawer. He found about a quarter pound of cocaine in there. And he's like, just baffled. So he goes, oh, crap. He goes, I got to get rid of this stuff. And she goes, no, Mike, you don't want to leave any residue. Don't put it down the toilet. I'll take it back to my house because if they come in this house, they'll find residue on the toilet and you'll get in trouble. And he gives her a quarter pound of cocaine and she goes and parties the entire summer on it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. My father, my father was really naive. Yeah. Yeah, and you you were probably very pissed off about that point too, because a quarter pound of of cocaine is God. How much money was that worth back then? It was just quite a few thousand dollars. But the audacity, I mean, for how to help the audacity to come up with a scheme like that, it was just it blew my mind at the time. Yeah, yeah. So did your father ever confront you with it then, and just say, you know, what what's going on, or you know, did you have to? How did you how did you explain that to a guy who doesn't, you know, who's not. Who's not, you know, well, he's, he's not really educated about these things. I told him, I, I said, look, dad, look, I made a couple of mistakes. I'm going to stop. But of course I didn't. And he knew there was a point that he couldn't control me anymore. And I look back on it and that's really sad because I, I hope no parent ever has to go through that. You know, seeing a point in time where they lose control of their kid and they see him going down the wrong path and they're powerless to do anything about it. That's got to be terrifying for them, and you know, and and my heart breaks for them too because they, I guess, they feel like they don't know what to do. They don't, they don't know where to turn, and and hopefully with you know the, this book uh, that that kind of empowers folks that have teenagers to read this thing and to, and just kind of keep a little closer eye on what's going on. Exactly. I mean, I would know what signs to look for. You know, you know. Thank God, my daughter. You know, was a really good kid. There was no problems with her and stuff. I mean, she has epilepsy. She developed when she was like 19. But I'm saying like as far as like the drugs and stuff, she was a very good kid. And I didn't have to really worry about with that with her. But I would know the signs to look for if she did. Sure. Yeah. And and, and is that a direction you'd kind of like to go with this then? I mean, with, after this, because you were talking about maybe a series of, of, of things. Is there is there a thought of maybe, you know, helping to shine a light onto the path to to getting somebody out of this? That's my whole goal with the series, not just for the entertainment value, because if you read the entire book, I'm telling you, it is really entertaining. The stuff that goes on in there is just ridiculous. But my goal is to bring that to the screen, but not just that part of it, bring everything, what the families go through, how important it is to see how it affects the families in every which way. And everybody that's involved between law enforcement and the players that are involved in these stories, how each life is affected by these things that are going on. Far too often we will see these stories, whether film or, or read them in books or, or series, uh, small screen stuff, streaming shows, whatever the case. And it's, it tends to focus 
mostly on mostly on the uh, on on just the nefarious activities of the pushers and the who they're having to deal with the bad guys and, and you there's you have this weird uh, I don't know attachment to these people and very rarely do you see the impact that it has on the people around them and and I and I think if you if you take that route personally I think you would I think you'd have you'd have something that would be in, uh, heartbreaking but fascinating at the same time. Well, that's the whole thing. It would have to be. If I was going to sign off on this, it would have to be extremely raw, extremely graphic, and we'd have to tap into things that maybe people are uncomfortable with seeing or hearing. But these things need to be said and heard and seen for them to be able to make decisions in the future or possibly prevent a catastrophic disaster in their own family. I think society is desensitized so much that I don't think you'll have a problem with the graphic nature of this unless what you have seen is far worse than what Hollywood lays out. I'll tell you, it's it's about as graphic as you could see. I mean, like, Hollywood stuff is hyperbole, a lot of it. This is the real deal that you're reading about. This stuff actually happened and stuff. And like I said, it's just it's important to do it right. And you got to tell the truth. That's uh, that's and that's that's the best way to do it. And I and I, I wish you best of luck with all of this. The book, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is called Suburban Gangsters. It's available. Uh, it's on Amazon right now. Uh, it's, you can get it for your Kindle. It's on. It's in. I think it's in paperback form. Do you, do you have? Uh, do you have? The, are, are you sold out of the hardcover stuff? Uh, they can pick it up on Amazon. It's there all the time. They're all there. Well, very well, very good. Uh, and we and we look forward for more for from you on this, Michael. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, absolutely fascinating story. And uh, I'm happy uh, that you survived all of this. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on your show. You bet. And if there's anything that I could do for you down the way. Don't don't hesitate to reach out. I'd I'd love to help you in any way, shape. We get this next one done, or if you if you if you got a show going on, well, hell, we'll get it cast. We'll we'll we'll, yeah, we'll get it shot over a weekend. We'll just we'll get something going for you, man. Awesome, I love it, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. There you go, kids. It's Michael Deneen. Have a good night. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Take care. Uh, bye bye. Hi, this is Reverend Oma from the Broom Closet Metaphysical Shop. A lot of us are making time to deepen our spiritual paths. The Broom Closet has a wide selection of books on spiritual topics and a huge selection of tarot and oracle cards for connecting with spirit and our higher selves. You can choose from our vast selection of gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry to enhance your spiritual journey. Check out our mindful living gifts and home decor to complete your sacred space. Visit us in downtown Memphis or online at thebroomcloetmemphis.com. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus, so stay a minimum of six feet away from others and stay home if you can. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Here's what's coming up on the next episode from Radio Land with Rick Cheddar. It's pretty cool when you get a chance to spend some time with some old friends, and that's what we've got coming up on this next episode from Radio Land. It's a conversation with the lovely Brenda Taylor. Brenda is the daughter of Eddie Taylor, Chicago bluesman. She's a singer herself. Yeah, and she's really good at it. Fantastic. Excuse me. Too much pre-show beverage. Tune in. You're going to dig this program because you'll hear some of her music. You're going to hear some conversations and some stories to tell about her and her father. It's going to be a lot of fun with Brenda Taylor. Yeah, it was recorded from a recent episode of The Booze and Blues. So there you go. It'll be more fun than the law allows. Besides, we'll get into some other stuff, too. I mean, we know how we are. We're just going to kill time. That's all we do with this 
It's a little bit more than that. Hopefully we give you a little something to walk away from by the time you're done listening to it. Perhaps. For previous episodes, go to radio-memphis.com. To download episodes to your mobile device, search the show in iTunes, player.fm, stitcher.com, Pocket Cast, or TuneIn. And now, here's more with Rick Cheddar from Radioland. There you go. You heard what's coming up next time on the program. As such, my thanks to Michael Deneen and uh, the conversation that we had there. His book, Suburban Gangsters, is out. Uh, go find it. It's, uh, it's man, it, I, I will tell you this. Within the first two pages, right, of the story, you're hooked. It's it's intense. It is absolutely intense, and it's uh it's it's a true story, and it'll it, you'll, you'll sit there by the end of this thing going, wow, that happened, <laughs> and indeed it did. So uh so yes, grab the, grab a copy of the book. So uh, my thanks again to Michael. Uh, right. <clears throat> On that note, then it is time uh to uh, to move along, I suppose, to get back into it, to get into the. Uh, Back into the world as it is. I mentioned earlier about uh, you know getting the vaccine. It's, I know it's up to you. And they're not making you do it. Although there, there's going to be a thing. Was I saw a tweet earlier? Oh God, what did it say? It was a it was a marquee. There it is, a marquee that said first you get the vaccine, then you get the concerts. Yeah, there's a lot of people. They're going. I want to get back into the shows. I want to go see shows. I want to go do stuff. And uh huh you're going to have to get the vaccine and it, you know, they'd be like, well, they can't force you into it. If you wanted to do something. Yeah, maybe that's a, it's an interesting thought. Can the government force you into it? Probably not. Uh, but if you want to go get on an airplane, you probably will, you know, uh, look, it's not that big a deal. A lot of people, all the cool kids are doing it, man. Yeah, buddy. All the cool kids are going to get their shot. <laughs> come on, man. It's no big deal. Come on. It's free, man. Come on. Hell, man. You like the first one. We'll give you the second one free, too. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's just insane. Um, right. Um, was it somewhere in the UK? I think they're talking about opening up uh, for more travel, but they're saying if you can get here. Of course, the airlines are going to be the ones that go, oh, well, I don't know, man, you know. The airline might uh, may not let you on the plane without the vaccine, which may be true. But at the same time, uh, once you get to where you're going, if you don't have the vaccine, a you're going to be quarantined, and b you're going to be COVID tested every day. So if you want that cotton swab rammed up into your no into your into your nostril, which is all up into your uh, uh, goes into that sinus cavity, you want to do that every day? Yeah, you want to do that? Oh, get the shot. You'll be you'll be you'll be much better. It puts this thing to rest that much quicker. So uh, so there you go. Do your research. Everything will be fine. All right. You heard what's coming up next time. That's it for me. I'm done. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And for God's sake, stop shooting each other. All right. We'll see you next time. I'm Rick Cheddar. And this has been from Radioland. Rick Cheddar from Radioland is produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. All music performed during this episode was used by permission. No part of this program can be rebroadcast or used in any other way except by written consent. For more, go to radio-memphis.com. <laughs>